Verse 16, Yahweh said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know are elders and the people of the officials over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their position there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will make part of the spirit that is on you, and will put it on them, and they will bear some of the burden of the people with you, so that you do not bear it all by yourself. Now this is what makes God so cool. God could have said, Don't you know that I'm with you? Don't you know this isn't up to you? Come on, grow up, Moses. You've seen what I've done. That's not what God says. Because God knows that Moses can do all things with just God, but God also knows that he built people to be a community. He also knows that he put it in Moses' heart to be a part of a community. And he also knows that we're not God and that we can't handle everything. And no matter how amazing God is and he can do all things through you, he also specifically designed you with different gifts and different skills And he doesn't choose to make you this all-powerful kind of person who can do everything perfectly. That wouldn't be very humbling. (laughs) And so he knows that as great as a leader Moses is, he's still only one man with a certain set of skills. And as great as as God is in him, he's still one man over an incredible nation. And God comes to him, and he answers his prayer and says, I'll help you delegate. You don't have to bear this burden all by yourself because God has created a community. A community of people, a community of leaders, a community of accountability, a community of prayer, a community, a community of everything. And God answered that. No anger, because what God is favorable about is that Moses came to him. And so he says, I'll give you 70 leaders. Pick the leaders that you respect. Pick the leaders that are capable. 70 elders. And then I will take the same spirit that I've placed on you and I will place it on them as well. And you will all be unified under the same spirit, even though you will be 71 leaders. And that's incredible. And that's exactly what he says today. In fact, God warns against one man or one woman being the leader of all things and dealing with all things. This is the great bed ground for occult leaders. Um, so when they came out of ex- from the Exodus and, and he complained about the people and God t- gave him 70 people to help him do the judging, is this like, are they gone away and now this is another seven? Good question. And I meant to talk about that. What we have is we have, back in the Exodus chapter 18, he's coming out and he's overwhelmed by the burden of judging. Well, he's actually, well, he kind of is, but His father-in-law sees him judging every court case in the entire nation of Israel. His father-in-law is like, you can't do this. This is going to kill you. And so he says, you need to to delegate all this stuff to other elders to help you judge court, court cases and that kind of stuff. And in that sense, some scholars have argued that that was bad because his father in law told him to do that. Where if he would have just waited for God, God would have come along here and said, I'll do it better. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. So that's how some scholars read it. I don't read it that way. And and most scholars don't read it that way. Because what you have is Jethro also says, now do this, delegate among me people that you trust, and then go to God and pray to him and and do all that God. And if God approves of this, then do it. 
And it says that Moses did everything his father-in-law said, and which implies also the praying to God and asking him, which means that dividing the leadership up was approved by God, which means now you have here. But here's the two differences, I think. In that particular case in Exodus 18, you have Moses overwhelmed by the judging the court cases. And so God prescribes judges through his father-in-law's really good advice of dividing the court cases up among these judges. They are not given the Holy Spirit to be upon them. Here what you have is Moses saying, I'm struggling with leading the nation. And so then God says, okay, well then take the leaders of the nations and find 70 people, and then I will put my spirit upon them. So the way that I think the best way to view it is Exodus 18 might have been per, um, picking the judicial branch, so to speak, my judges, where now God, he's picking Congress and all those other people. Hopefully they're just not corrupt. And so I think the difference is not that these are a different group of leaders and the other ones have gone away. They just have a different responsibility within the nation. One is specifically court cases, um, like judges, where this is now going to be specifically like governors and mayors helping Moses out and probably being over different sections and different tribes. <coughs> so I think that's the better way to see it. And that's why these guys are especially have the spirit of God being put upon them because they're not just judging a court case. Because the judges in 18, they have the law to guide them on the court cases where there is really no law to help you govern being a leader over every situation this kind of comes up. Right? Like, I, I can't imagine being a political leader over a country. Like, just the things you get to deal with on a daily basis. So um, I think that's where they really did, truly need the Spirit of God more than what the judges did. The judges had the law. The political leaders have the Spirit of God, so to speak. So I think that's a better way of looking at it. Thank you. Does that help? Now, I don't, I'm not saying that's absolutely the way it is. Ultimately, we don't really know, but that's what most people kind of lean toward. Then he says, Now, say to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow you will eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of Yahweh, saying, Who will give us meat to eat and life for what is good of Egypt? Therefore, Yahweh will give you meat and you will eat. And you will eat not just one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and it makes you sick because you have despised Yahweh who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? You want me? Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Here's the thing. God sometimes gives you what you want and the persistence of your stubbornness even though that is not his will. If you read Romans 1, it basically is worded this way. Because they pursued sexual immorality and idolatry, God gave them over into their sins. Sometimes God gives you exactly what you want. When they said, we want a king like all the other nations, 1 Samuel chapter 8, God says, you want a king like all the other nations? I'll give you a king like all the other nations. And when he taxes you and puts you in wars that you don't want to fight and takes your land and forces your daughters into marriage, and Samuel says, remember, I told you so. He actually says that in chapter 12. 
Right? The reality is, sometimes God gives you what you want in the persistence of your stubbornness, even though it's not his will, his ultimate goodwill. And that's what he says. You want meat, I'm going to give you meat. Because here's the thing. They didn't come to God and say, you know what, God, I'm, this bread's getting old. I'm starving. It would be nice to have variety. Please, God. They didn't come that way. They came and said, it would have been better for us to never have left Egypt. This life that we have with you now is horrible. That's the equivalent of saying, I wish I had never become a Christian. Life is actually now worse with the Holy Spirit than ever was when I was on my own. I want more. I want variety. I want the buffet of the world. That's their heart. This is not a God where you come to and say, you know what, God, I would just like a little bit more. I'm having difficulty getting through. I feel like work is the same thing every single day, or I feel like, the, please, God, help me. That's different, because that's the God who says, does not a father give his son good gifts? What father gives a stone to his son when he asks for bread? Am I, the God of the universe, will I not give you good gifts when you ask for them? Ask, and you will receive. But this is the heart of the people who say, life without you is better. That's a different heart. Don't get confused in that they're requesting more and think God is angry at that. You need to pay attention to the attitude of the heart. And what really makes us angry is not that they want more. What makes them angry is their character assassination of him. Which means they don't really know who God is. And that's sad. And you have to understand, people, these are people who grew up in the church. They're right there in front of the pillar of fire. They built the tabernacle. They gave gifts to the tabernacle just three days ago. They've seen God. They've heard God verbally speak. They've seen miracles, and they don't know God. And there's a lot of people in our church who still don't know God after all these years. They know facts, they know stories, but they don't know his character. And that's the difference between Moses. Moses comes almost with the same complaining that they do, and God answers. They come with almost the same complaining, and God judges. Because God looks at the heart. And that's what we need to watch. Don't be scared to bring your doubts and complaints to God, but also check your heart. Do you really truly believe that God is good and that God can handle us? And right now you don't feel it. And right now you don't know how it's working. But you're going to fall back on all those other times that God is good. See, the key to the Christian life, this is what we're going to talk about in Deuteronomy, is remembrance. We're short-term people. In our circumstances, it's hard to trust in God because all we can think about is our drowning and suffering. But what makes me able to go to God and trust him as good, even though I'm not experiencing that goodness now, maybe, is that I've experienced that goodness so many times in the past. And so I take those experiences and I hold on to them desperately. And I wade through the not goodness of my life right now to the throne of God. And I say, I want to experience this like I already have. And I know I will because you're a good God. And sometimes that's the only offering you have to give to God is the memory of how he's been good to you in the past and the hope that he'll do it again because you know he will and then you expect it.
And that's the difference between Moses and the people. Their actions, their words are kind of almost the same. But one is going to God's good character, and the other one is assassinating God's good character. And that's what we need to check. Don't be afraid of bringing all of it to God as long as your heart is right. And that's why um, Psalm 139 says at the very end, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me in my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Does it make sense? So they want meat, but they've got all these flocks and herds. Yeah, but remember, flocks and herds are production. Most people, remember, we eat a lot of meat. (laughs) Most people only ate meat at the festivals, and those only happen seven times a year. The reality is you don't just go killing all of your animals, because eventually when you kill all your animals, then you have no milk for your family, you have no wool to to, to sell. If you kill an animal to eat it, you've used it one time. If you keep an animal alive, then it's constantly producing year after year after year after year after year. That's their livelihood. That would be like you selling your car to buy a really expensive cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. Sometimes I feel like I have to sell my car. (laughs) The reality is, okay, but you got the cheesecake for one night. But now you have no car to go to work to make more money. So the, 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 the wool and the milk of the sheep and the goats, and like, that's their, their income. And so oftentimes you only sacrifice to eat what you, that animal is no longer producing anything for you anymore, or you're sacrificing the best of an animal that's producing a lot as a faith offering to God. But you're not sacrificing it for food, you're sacrificing to God as a faith offering. And so that's, they don't raise animals to eat like we do. They raise animals to produce an income. And so, yeah, they have all that, but eventually that would all disappear if you eat it enough times. Because we, in America, eat faster than animals can give birth. That's why we pump them full of steroids. Uh, so they'll produce things, grow faster and produce faster. So they eat. And then it says the quail came, like it did in Exodus, but the difference is the quail came three feet high. Now, most likely, it's not like, oh my gosh, it's like, can you imagine wading through three feet of dead birds? Like, that's going to ruin your appetite. Um, Most likely, the idea is that they flew at the three feet height level, so that it was easy for them to just smack them off out of the air. Okay, remember we talked about in Exodus that these are actually an Arabian quail that actually typically fly low. And Arabian boys today will even take sticks and the birds will fly by and they'll just smack them down on the ground and then pick them up and take them home and eat them. Okay, so they're already a low-flying bird. But the idea is that God is now, it's one thing for them to fly overhead and try to smack them down. Can you imagine birds flying at three feet level enough for thousands upon thousands of people? Okay, so in a way, the birds are not just coming above like they did before. Above, before it was like, oh, this is a gift from God, and they smack it and it falls one at a time, that kind of stuff. Now you're like, oh my gosh, like they're all coming at you. So think of like God providing the birds from Hitchcock, okay, to, to, to feed them. You want birds? Here's Hitchcock, okay, eat. So rather than just nice little birds flooding around and you just knock them down. So the idea is that this is a little bit more on the judgment side than the gracious good giver side. But remember, 
this isn't like, <laughs> this is not parenting 101 for you, okay? This is the divine God of the universe who knows their hearts better than anybody. And he knows what they need at particular circumstances. Half the time, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now, God, with my kids. So I don't have the right to read this and say that's how I apply it. Because I'm not a divine God who knows my kids' hearts and knows exactly what to do at every single moment. And so this isn't Parenting 101. This is God 101. And that's different. And now God might come to you and say, this is how you perform. And in that sense, you obey. Um, but remember, most of the Bible is not exactly telling you what to do and apply that to every circumstance. Most of the time, the Bible is telling you, this is how you come to God. And then God shows up and does exactly what is needed for that particular situation. And that's what we must understand. The Bible is teaching us to go to God. And then God tells you what you need for that specific situation or what to do or what to say. Now, there are some guidelines to apply in a wisdom sense to your life. That's the book of Proverbs and even the laws and that kind of stuff. And so the key is knowing what is a general proverb or prescription for what you should do in all areas and what is me depending upon the God and going to him for every situation. My recommendation is just err on the side of always going to him. So um, the reality is that. So he provides for them. Any questions? Any comments? Does this help? Is this beneficial? Good. I, I hope... And like I said, one of my goals is to help you see God for who he really is. It's very easy to get this harsh, judgmental God when we just read these isolated stories. But when we start reading the Bible as a whole and we see the character of God develop, we get a much bigger picture of God. And what really begins to stand out is, holy cow, he's really gracious. We would have lost our temper by now. We would have judged them. Just like any moment, we could walk in in any of your lives and see like you yelling and screaming or me and think like, you're a horrible, evil person. But at the same time, yeah, maybe that's true in that context because you lost your temper, but that's not who you are all the time. Or it could be you were just in that anger. And if I had just seen your entire character and been with you in your entire life, I would know that like, okay, I'll give you an example. Some students came in today and they were complaining about their teacher. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's so unrealistic. She got so mad at us and da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, well, which teacher is this? And they told me the name. And I was like, her? If she got mad at you, she probably has a good reason. Because that's not her default. And so they started explaining things more. And I was like, oh, that makes sense now. So like half the class got caught cheating last week and now you're kind of doing the same thing again. And so she's kind of losing her patience and she's getting mad at you. That seems totally justified. And so, but if you just heard them come home and complain to their parents, a lot of parents, and I know this for a fact, would immediately respond saying, horrible, evil teacher. How could they do that? And they go in yelling and screaming. But when you look at the whole character of that teacher throughout the years of teaching, you realize that's not her default. That's not to, maybe this teacher, but not her. <laughs> Give me the rest of the story. And then you begin to realize all that anger was actually totally justified. And she had every right to react that way because that's really seriously messed up. 
And see, that's what the world in America and the atheists like to do. They like to take these stories out, like some high school kid going home to their parents and complaining about their teacher, and shove it in your face and present this holistic picture of who God is. But when you put God in the greater context of his culture and his narrative and his character development, then you begin to realize, wow, I'm actually amazed that he didn't do more. He actually was that gracious and that forgiving. And you know what? That totally makes sense. Because I think that any parent who responded that way would be justified. That 18 years old and you still have no appreciation for anything that's ever happened, anything I've provided. And it begins to make more sense. Don't let the world or even believers rip things out of context and present this image of God and don't buy into that any more than you want anybody to rip anything out of your life out of context and present that in everybody as the accurate, holistic truth of who you are. God is an incredible, gracious God. He always has been. It's not new with Jesus. It's just deeper and more intimate with Jesus because he is God. God doesn't change. He's a gracious God. 